Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Growing Your Successful Business, uh, the small business podcast. Uh, my name is Brian Harding. I've got Mac McDonald here with me. Uh, welcome, Mac. Thanks Thank for coming you. on. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks all of you for listening. Thanks for all the feedback you've given me. Um, it's been a real, real cool thing so far to hear uh, folks send me different uh, uh, critiques and suggestions and uh, some positive feedback as well. So thank you all for that. And again, the whole goal of this thing is to make it uh, something that people can learn from. And, and uh, don't be afraid to tell your friends and coworkers and family about. And uh, the idea is to, is to make this thing free forever. So uh, the way we can do that is by, by sharing the information with all kinds of folks and, and getting an audience big enough to make that happen. So uh, if you ever want to get a hold of me, you can do that at uh, growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. All the links to Facebook and YouTube can be found there. You can email me at brian at brianlharding.com. If you have ideas for the show, if you have questions, if you'd like to be a guest, uh, we're always looking for successful business people to come on and share their stories. And of course, we're always looking for industry experts as well. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by the South Sound Business Summit. It is the business event in the South Sound to educate and inspire business leaders, managers, and entrepreneurs to make the most of their business. It is this Friday, May 3rd, at the SAR Center in Tacoma. This Friday, as you listen to this. 8 a.m. to noon, and this year's speakers, we, uh, we have Margot Myers of Margot Myers Communications talking about how to influence the conversation, what do people say when you leave the room. We have Travis Daigal, character uh, development coach, uh, talking about sailing forward, and Brian Reynolds, the owner of Anthem Coffee and Wine Bar. He's talking about building a healthy team culture through heroic hospitality. Get your tickets at southsoundbusinesssummit.com. Again, that's the South Sound Business Summit uh, this Friday, May 3rd at the Star Center in Tacoma from 8 a.m. to noon, southsoundbusinesssummit.com. So today, as I said, we have Mac McDonald <coughs> with us. Mac is a, a, life a life extension specialist with McTerry's Creating Balance, and uh, you guys are selling Zedra products, which specializes in uh, Moringa supplements, essential oils, fitness, and health supplements. Is that right? Correct. Mm -hmm. So for those of you listening uh, at home, um, before you say, hey, wait a second, I'm a brick-and-mortar business owner or manager. I can't possibly refer to what Mac uh, – relate to what Mac is going to say. He, he doesn't – you know, multi, he has a multi-level marketing business. Um, so for those of you thinking that right now, let me give you some information about Mac. Uh, he retired in 1997 as a colonel after 30 years in the Air Force. And do this. Google the words Mac McDonald, M-A-C, McDonald and follow that with the words top multi-level marketing earners and you'll see Mac on a number of lists and I didn't write down all the numbers but uh, to kind of give you a, a before and after of the lists I saw in 2009 uh, Mac is number 84 in the world the top 100 uh, top multi-level marketing earners and his wife Pat that year was number 92 and in 2018 just last year Mac is number 177 of the top 200 in the world so to put things in perspective, there's 7.4 billion people in the world. To be in the top 1%, that's something like 740,000. Maybe my math is off a little bit. To be in the top tenth of a percent might be 75,000 or something like that. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty staggering uh, accomplishment. So anytime I can <coughs> speak to somebody who's the top 200 in the world in any industry, I'm going to listen to what they have to say, and I hope you will too. Um, Mac went from a career of leading people in the, as a colonel in the Air Force to a career building a massive business in the industry, uh, which takes a lot of work to build, yeah? Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Plus, uh, Mac is one of the kindest, most endearing people I think I've ever met. Uh, super humble guy, uh, super kind, very sweet guy, and he's just the kind of guy you want to hang out with as much as possible. Um, 
So that's why that's why I asked Mac to come on today, and I'm really, really happy he's here. So, Mac, how many people were you responsible for when you retired from the Air Force? Wow, that's a hard question. Responsible for in that one job? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, like, well, how, how many subordinates did you have down the, the, the ranks? I'm guessing probably 350, 400. Uh, yeah, that was in the air defense business. So we were watching every airplane flying seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, would you say you were a born leader, or did you have to learn how to be a leader? I mean, did you, did you decide in high school you were going to be in the Air Force and, and you are going to lead people into, into different things, or did you kind of fall into it and have to learn it? No, well, certainly there's an education process. As I went to school, Bowling Green State University in Ohio. I learned a lot there. Um, didn't have any idea I was going to go in the military until I went in for pre-registration, and the colonel says, what do you think about ROTC? And I says, hmm, don't know what that is. <laughs> I says, what is it? And he says, well, it's kind of hard to explain, but um, we pay you to go to class. And I said, fine, sign me up. Right. And that's how I ended up in the Air Force. Uh, of course, that was for a four-year assignment. By the time I got my third year uh, in Montana, I was headed to Guam for three more years, so I had six. Pretty soon I had 10, 12, 14, and it just kept on going. I didn't decide to make it a career. I just never decided to get out. Right. But it wasn't something I started out in my youth as. But I think my mother's really the one that prepared me most for it because she said, always study, always learn, be on the lookout for new things on the horizon. And remember, you can do anything that you want as long as you believe you can. Sure. And yeah. so that's that's good advice for parents to give their kids. Right? Well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and she wasn't one. She wasn't one that would say no. You know, if I ask her if I can go someplace and do something, she says, yes, you can, but you may not. You asked the wrong question. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you can go, and anybody can go, but I'm not giving you permission to go, so you may not go. <laughs> and so from that statement way back then, I that's how I listen to everybody. The words that they say and where they want to go and what they want to do in life are all verbal. They're coming out. All you have to do is hear them and then give them some encouragement or advice or critique, as you say, and move right. forward. That's all it's about. Gotcha. So how does that apply to, to being a leader, uh, especially in, a, in the Air Force? How, do, how does listening to folks apply to, to being a leader? Uh, you, know, you know, everything's passed down to you. Um, you got rules, regulations, you got guidance in the manuals and things like that. But there's a lot of flexibility um, th that you have to be able to make some decisions. And, and uh, uh, one of the biggest things that I like to do is make a quick decision. But if it was the wrong one, I'm going to admit it. You know, right. We're going to correct and um, you know, uh, go a different way. But I find too many people don't make a decision. They let things drag on. And over time, the d need has evaporated. But as far as um, being in the military and doing those types of things is something you learn. I learned early on that, you know, I'm a brand new second lieutenant. I don't know diddly squat about the Air Force, but I know this master sergeant who knows everything about right. it. He's been around for a long time. So I stuck close to them. And I really learned from the NCOs, the um, non-commissioned officers, because that's where the education comes from. Right. Mm -hmm. So in your mind then if i'm hearing what you're saying right you're saying the leader the leader's job is to make decisions not not um put off making decisions until it's too late make the decision but but get to know 
you know, the information so you can make a good decision. Oh, absolutely. A- any time that you're presented with a problem, it's really a symptom of something that's gone wrong, which right. creates a problem in somebody's mind. So you can't just look at what they're saying. You have to study. you got to look. you got to find out what all the symptoms are and then come up with some possible solutions. I don't make the decisions. Many times I'll refer it back to them and says, well, here's some possible solutions. Which one would you pick? Because I right. want everybody on board, and I learned that early on. If you give everybody an opportunity to have a voice in what's going on, you're going to be a lot more successful. Right. So uh, when I met with you before, I said how it was ironic how you went from a business uh, a career in the military where you, for 30 years, just told people what to do to now building a business in the career where you've got to be a motivational speaker and a cheerleader for your team. And you said basically, well, I, I approach them both the same. You're a problem solver. Um, so you're saying when, you know, when, you, when somebody presents you a problem, you, you would uh, uh, find out what the symptoms are and then try to address the, the problem, not the symptoms, though. I mean, you're, not, you're not focusing on the symptoms, which I think a lot of times Correct. Uh, leaders and especially managers uh, somebody comes in with the with the problem, and they they diagnose and try to treat the symptom, not the problem. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how did being a problem solver apply in the military? I mean, you, so people would bring you problems, but what are some examples of things people brought you? Uh, it could be personal problems. It could be team problems. You might have a um, uh, conflict between two of the individuals that are working for you. You have to listen to both sides, evaluate and um, that. Sometimes it's the police come to you with problems (laughs) of people that you have that are working for you. So each and every day it's a new problem. It's a new uh, opportunity to excel. Um, Did I... What I would really think is the most important is that I always looked at building teams. Right. You know, in the military, I wanted my entire squadron. I wanted to be an entire team. I didn't want different segments of it. So it's always, you know, I was willing. I wouldn't ask them to do things that I wasn't willing to do. Uh, I wanted to make sure they understood that. So I wanted to lead from the front, but also you have to lead from the behind. And uh, many times um, you get uh, a lot of, uh, officers, but you also get employers out here that they they rule by fear. Mm-hmm. And I want to encourage people to be part of the team. I don't want to tell you, you got to do this or I'm going to fire you. I, I want you to be part of a solution, part of moving forward. So I get my impression of how the military works, not ever having served in the military. I get my impression of how things work by watching movies like A Few Good Men where the colonel is ordering code reds and things like that to get his troops in line. Are you, are you saying you had a different approach than Colonel Nathan Jessup and A Few Good Men? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, there is policies, there's procedures, but there's a, a wide range of latitude. Um, you know, it, I, I remember, recall one time when I was over in uh, NATO, I had a German officer come to me and he said, Colonel, you can't do this what we were proposing, to, what I suggested they should do. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, I says, yes, you can. He says, no, you can't. It's, it doesn't say so in the regulation that you can do that. And I said, well, where does it say you can't? Well, no, it's got to say you can or you can't. And I says, hmm, well, in my interpretation, if it doesn't say that I can't, then I can. Right. Maybe that's why we won the war. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's that type of thing. Uh, you you got to look at everything. You got to have interpretations, but you have to have the integrity and honesty of moving forward in the right direction. Right. So, if you're not if you're not uh, ordering blanket parties for subordinates to get them on board, how do you how did you deal with 
subordinates that you just could not get on board with you? I don't think that I had many of those. Um, uh, what, how do you, how, what do you attribute that to? How, I mean, uh, um, anybody who's leading people, there's always a, a percentage that just don't seem to be heading in the same direction as you. How did you avoid that for 30 years? Well, one of the, <coughs> one of the things that, you know, the, the, they have these things um, of sexual discrimination mm -hmm. in, in the military. And we have a lot, we had and still do have a lot more women on board. And frankly, sometimes I think the women are moving forward faster because of their uh, desire to excel. Mm -hmm. um, so w if I hugged a, a female, I better hug them, males, at the same level. So right. it, it's it's about being honest with everyone. It's about sharing um, everything that we have going on and, and just pulling them in. Uh, if if we have, uh, there is always, if you got somebody that uh, isn't towing the line, there are regulations, there are Article 15s, and there are certain actions that you can take. I try to avoid them because I don't want my people not having a great career. I want them to be looking forward and, and right. having having fun, but getting the job done. Right. So you would, you would take an approach of uh, identifying the problem, bringing that to your team of folks, helping them or having them help decide the path. Correct. Or did you make direction, make decisions? Because like you said earlier, ultimately you've got to be the one to make a decision and not be afraid to make a quick decision. But to get to that point, you would, you would get your folks involved in the solution, not just on your own create the solution and then mandate that be carried out from them. That, that Correct. It's a, lot, it's a lot easier to lead when they're on board with you right. rather than saying, oh, that colonel's stupid. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I didn't have that. Right. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to picture you being a hard ass in the military. <laughs> I just, I'm having a hard time <laughs> with that. Uh, I don't know if I've ever really met a, a, a nicer person than you, but um, I just, but it's kind of funny to picture you ordering somebody <laughs> to a blanket party. Um, so, if you if you didn't really experience that, uh, where where folks weren't kind of on board with what you're trying to do, um, what other kinds of things did you? What kind of other issues did you have to deal with that that maybe were outside of your scope a little bit, and you had to do some kind of creative thinking or, um, you, you know, yeah, uh, <clears throat> you know, I started out. Uh, my first assignment was in uh, Montana in the missile systems, and then I was shipped over to Guam during. Vietnam, that's as close as I got to Vietnam because uh, I was going to be back in the backfield being a supply officer um, pushing all the parts forward. So we would have to meet all their requirements. And we had a couple of KC-135s or refueling aircraft that I was supporting on Guam, but they were all over in Thailand. So I didn't have any airplanes. Mm. And then uh, so about you had a base, an Air Force base with no airplanes. No airplanes, but <laughs> it's a support. Yeah, it was going to be a gig, good, right? yeah, yeah, it was going to be a good operation. And uh, on February second of um, 1970, woke up in the morning. There's 129 B-52 sitting on my ramp, mm. and we didn't have any parts. Oh wow! So that was a dilemma, and we had to, uh, you know, pull our hair out. That's why I don't have a whole yeah. lot today, and. Uh, trying to get the parts in there and trying to keep those airplanes flying uh, so that they could do what they're doing in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So that was where I, I think we really worked about 28 hours a day, eight days a week. Right. And because there was, I remember many days, we only had two hours of sleep before we were back at it again. So, yeah. and that was that entire three years. So it was, it was. So how do you, so how do you, how do you take a group of young men who would probably prefer to only work five or six hours a day and you know, get ten or twelve hours of sleep, 
uh, every day, and maybe have weekends off. How, how do you get how do you get a group of young men or women? Uh, I'm guessing back then it was mostly men during the Vietnam War, but um, how do you get a group of folks like that on board with what you're doing? I mean, that's not something you can call a vote on and say, "Hey, we want to work 24 hours a day or 22 hours a day," and now we're going to say, "Yeah, sure, sign me up for that." They're <laughs> generally going to be resistant to that. How do you get them on board with that kind of a thing? Well, it it's all about vision, about mission, and explaining really what's behind it, where we're going, and why we're going there, and what we need to have to be able to support that. Uh, and it's no different today. You have to have a vision. You have to have a purpose. Um, you you got to satisfy the need. And uh, when you explain it to people, yes, most of them will get on board. Of course, they're there in sort of a semi-war zone. You don't have a lot of choice then. Right. Uh, so um, it's pretty easy to get them on board at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So um, were you, you had that one assignment where you get there and you have no airplanes. Did you ever, were you ever get an assignment where you come in and you just had like a series of just major problems you had to work through like right now, like right away? Uh, or or, was, it, or was that is that like the only one where you where you show up? There's no airplanes <laughs> at your Air Force Base. <laughs> well, that was a pretty big one. Yeah. Uh, no, when I was uh, assigned to Shape, I went in over there to um, work on um, putting the airborne early warning system, the AWAC system, in um, into Europe, hmm. and so we needed to have some place to put them down on the ground. So we had to get the collective nations in NATO together to figure out who was going to own the airplanes and mm-hmm. the biggest problem was trying to get them to say yeah we want them so finally luxembourg stepped up and says hey we'll take them we don't have any airplanes we might as well do that nice so it's trying to work through 13 to 16 nations to come up with a solution that everybody can agree to and how, or, are, how are you instrumental in that well uh, setting down a table a big table mm-hmm. with uh, all the different countries around and working on trying to understand why one country couldn't do it, and the other one wouldn't do wouldn't it, do and it, things yeah. like that. And then, um, you know, saying, okay, well, we got to get it done. So I guess we're down to the point that who's going to step up? And right. That one little country raised their hand and says, oh, we'll do that. Huh. Yeah. Or uh, in the negotiations, it's, I mean, you get it all down, you get everybody to agree to it, and then we send it off to Washington, come back, says, Okay, that looks good, and you take it back to them, and, uh, and then you get one nation says, we can't agree with that word. It doesn't translate into our language. we got to change it. <laughs> so in NATO, if you got one project done in two years, you're doing darn good. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, it's, it, when you're dealing with a lot of different nations, there's a lot of different words mean different things. Sure. And so it's very hard to get the right wording and to get the support of everyone. Wow, I, I know for a guy like me who likes things to done, be done very quickly, I, I, one success every two years has got to be. It's got to be. I had more than that. I had more than that, but uh, yeah, those those were the bigger ones. So what what's well, I mean when you look at look back back at those situations, what what would you say your your approach was? What was kind of your procedure? What was you what did you st- step by step? I mean, you identified the problem like you said, and you're bringing the people to the table. Um, you know, when you're talking about 13 countries now that are making the decision, you're going to have a lot of folks who aren't on board. It's not going to be the small percentage we talked about a few minutes ago of people who aren't on board. Most of them aren't going to be on board. What do you do to entice people, subordinates, or people in that situation <laughs> to kind of get on board? So you're, so you're not looking at the, the Article 15s and the, and the treaties yeah. and all that kind of <laughs> stuff that were, you know, would be a, the consequence of not getting on board. What, how do you dangle a carrot that gets their attention? Well, it's... Uh, 
kind of having empathy and learning who they are and what they're about and, and what their needs are. Um, it's listening to the words they're using and, and trying to come up with alternate words that would say the same thing but have mm -hmm. just a slightly different meaning. Uh, it's just, again, going back to mission, going back to vision, and trying to get people to own up to this bigger vision that we have right. and, and what it means for all the nations involved. Right. Yeah, you know, I had that same problem when I was in um, Hawaii working for the um, uh, Joint Command, where I had 22 uh, nation peace conferences that I had to host, and mm -hmm. and trying to get 22 nations on board for the same thing is a little harder than NATO was. 13, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I had a lot more years of experience by that time because I was beyond my 20 years already. Right. So yeah. So. Uh, it sounds like the, the the further up the food chain you went in your career in the military, the more you became a salesman and less of a code red orderer. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Well, it is always about sales. Yeah. yeah. Everything we do has some sort of uh, sales connotation to it. Sure. Yeah. Whether it's not necessarily a product or a service, but you got to sell somebody an idea. Right. Right. Yeah, which is ultimately probably the hardest kind of sale there is, is to, is to get somebody to think in their head what you're thinking in your head and and uh, yeah. get them on board with that. So then after 30 years, you uh, you hang it up. You say, I've had enough in the Air Force, and I'm going to go be a civilian. And uh, what was that transition like? I mean, you, you go from 30 years of a known lifestyle to now what am I going to do? How did that go for you? Well, it went well. You know, I, I stepped out on Halloween on uh, 31st of October, and uh, my wife threw a party for us at the house, a retirement party, and she hung up in the laundry room a skeleton and put my uniform on it and says, okay, you're done. <laughs> That's it, you're out. Yeah, you're yeah. Out. So now we got the rest of our life together. What do you want to do? Right. And uh, so it, it, I still connected with the military out here, out at JBLM or McCord. Right. Uh, that was my last assignment and uh, still stay plugged in because uh, I, I appreciate the military. I understand they're fighting for freedom. Right. They're not fighting, um, you know, they're not fighting wars. It's, they're looking for solutions rather than fighting. Right. Yeah. So. Sure. So, so, what, then, so yeah. you transition out. What was your plan going to be when you retired? You were you were going to be what? You were going to be an MP or you were going or a, a not MP a police officer or you were going to be a governor? Or what were you, what were you going to be? Well, not governor wasn't on there because that's politics. Yeah. That's I'm not going to politics. Sounds like you should have been an ambassador. <laughs> well, that's what my wife called me when I met her back in the country of Oman. And she says, you are actually an ambassador. Right. And uh, I says, well, why is that? She says, you can work from all different uh, cultures and cross um, uh, country lines and everything. And you kind of get people to agree with you. Right. So uh, what was I going to do? Well, I had to go get a job because I couldn't retire on, my, or, uh, retire on that income that right. I had coming from the military. Most people don't retire from the military. They just transition to another job. Right. A lot of them go right back in uh, to work in the military. Some of them into the position they just left, but as a civilian. Hmm. I didn't want to do that. You know, I wanted to get out and experience life. Um, but uh, again, Pat says, well, now that you're out of the military, what, what is it that you would like to have? And I said, I want to be free. I want freedom. Right. And uh, she says, well, you know, that means you can't work for anybody in the future. I says, yeah, I know that's going to be a problem. <laughs> she says, <laughs> I says, we're going to have to start our own business. She says, you know how to run a business. I said, absolutely not. No idea. No idea. Yeah. Didn't have any idea what it would be or whether it would be a uh, distribution. Now, I thought distribution would be where I wanted because I was in the distribution system in mm -hmm. the military. 
And as I interviewed some of those um, uh, people that are in distribution, their biggest headache was employees and opening a door and closing the door, and you have to have it open a certain amount of time and, and be responsible. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't want to have a door, and right. I didn't want to have any employees because I already was up to the yeah, uh, my eyebrows. Yeah, 30 years of dealing <laughs> with people's problems, you're That's done. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so she says, well, then what are we going to do? And that's how we ended up uh, doing a matrix of, I did go out in job interviews, but none of them were going to give me freedom, and that right. was the biggest one out there. <coughs> so she had me put it down in the a matrix. The biggest one out there, meaning the biggest need you had on your list of yeah, things you absolutely. wanted. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I wasn't, I really wasn't willing to give that one up. I, I Pat and I wanted to be in our own business, but we just didn't have the wherewithal to do that. And uh, so she said, make a matrix and put all the job offers you got down and what you want at the top and put an X in the box. And the only one that came up was this one way out here um, that I had experienced, uh, and that was in multi-level marketing, mm -hmm. network marketing. I had no concept of what that was other than we did get some products from a company, and they sent us a check when my wife started sharing it with other people. Right. And Pat looked at the check and says, well, what's that for? And called uh, our sponsor, and she said, well, you're doing a business. And we said, we aren't doing any business. We're just sharing information about some things that are really going to change people's lives. Right. She says, that is the business. Oh, oh, well, then that seems like a pretty good business to be in. Share information send them to the company. I don't have to do any of the work. I don't have to distribute products. I don't have to do any paperwork. I don't have any employees. And that was a perfect business. Right. Yeah. So how long have you been in business then? Uh, 22, 22 years. 22 years. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest uh, pitfalls you've had to recover from or biggest uh, obstacles you've had to overcome? Uh, uh, well, one of the best things about the business is you get to work with people. Mm-hmm. And one of the worst things about the business is people. <laughs> yeah, people yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they don't necessarily always tell you the truth. Right. And uh, so you have to deal with that. And, you know, when we get somebody that really wants to build a business and they're doing extremely well and we're monitor, uh, mentoring with them, we're traveling with them, we're supporting them, we're doing everything, and we get them to go up through ranks and things like that uh, because that's where they want to be. And then all of a sudden... They go to another company. Ah, That's gotcha. devastating. Yeah. Because you've put three years of your life into someone, and then all of a sudden they're gone. Right. But that's the same in any business where you put your life into somebody, bringing them up in the business you're in, probably in plumbing and drain company sure. and things like that, and you get them trained, and off they go. Right. Yeah, it's frustrating when that happens, no doubt. And uh, I can't remember where I, where I heard this. There's kind of a anecdotal story about, you know, uh, the CEO of a company telling telling the you know the the managers and vice presidents and presidents and all that kind of stuff that we really need to focus on training and and teaching our people to be you know happier and better at their jobs and more efficient and all that kind of stuff and one of the vice presidents or whoever says well what if we what if we teach them all that stuff and they go work for somebody else and the the CEO's response was well what if we don't teach them and they stay. <laughs> <laughs> very good point <laughs> yeah so um yeah it, it's certainly frustrating when you do that stuff but you don't have a choice you have to invest that time you have to invest the, the resources and uh um you know whether people stay or they go you know they everybody is entitled to pursue their own level of happiness i think and and um you just hope that you find some people who are happy enough to want to stay with you and and uh you know 
create a good team. That's all you can oh, really hope absolutely. for. Absolutely. Probably the biggest frustration is when you, you, you put your life into a company and put 20 years in with that company, and all of a sudden they make some changes that take you out of integrity with your people. Right. And so now you've really got to make a decision. And we ran up up with that with our our first business that we thought we would be with our entire life because it was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, however, when they sort of fought a favor and um, they asked you to do things that aren't integral, we just had to decide, well, it's time to quit, start over again. Right. So after uh, what would have been... 19 years or 20 years or something like that with the company you Correct. you just you quit yes. <laughs> again twice in 50 years you quit yeah <laughs> so to speak yeah, i guess so to speak yeah. so um you just took your ball and bat and went home so you, you said what happened was the company started doing some they changed their their compensation plan or they changed some things that that made it so you couldn't uh you couldn't be as honest and and transparent as you like with some of your folks is that right absolutely mm-hmm so <clears throat> what's it like going from being on the top, you were number 84 or whatever in the top 200 in 2009, and in 2016, you just quit and you start completely over again. What, what was that like? Uh, it could be worrisome. However, you know, go back to what my mom said. If you believe in yourself and you believe that you can do it, you just start it over. The, the difference was in, in 2016 when we started over, I had 20 years of experience behind me. Right. And so that I knew what to do to help people get back on board and to help people move forward in life. Um, and, you know, it's the experience you gain. It's not, um, it's not you doing something every year a little different. It's the same thing. It's listening to people and hearing where they are and, you know, seeing all their problems that they think they have or the symptoms they have and then offer them some solutions to the symptom that is most important to them and help them resolve that. Right. So backing up to, you know, the year 2000, 99, 2001, somewhere in there, you're, you're three, four years into your, your journey on this. Um, again, you're in a business where when you say the word network marketing to folks, I don't know, 62% will flee the room, I would imagine, <laughs> and, and and be like, ah, I got to get out of here before he, you know, before he kidnaps me and yeah. takes me back to his compound. I, I don't know what people think, but I, I mean, for a lot of folks, there's there's a kind of stigma attached to it. How did you how did you have the perseverance to stick with it? What what was it that kept you driven? Well, as, as we learned more, of course, I had no idea what network marketing was when I fell into it, and therefore, I didn't have a, that connotation of what it was I was I was on a mission to help people change their life I had a company that I was proud of and had confidence in mm -hmm. I had products that were good and uh, would help people so that's all we were doing now there's a lot of people talk about network marketing and there's a lot of companies out there in this business that are shams I mean Madoff was the biggest one around right because he had no service he had nothing other than a shell right if you look at a company that's rock solid and has a product line and the only way that you earn income is on a product or a sale, mm -hmm. uh, there is something firm that goes with that. But then I looked at it and I says, well, you know, network marketing is no different than any other business. I mean, real estate's the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, there, you're offering a service to someone. It's what the difference is, is I like to call it an entrepreneurial business, not an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial means I I have a business 
but I've got this big company over me with sort of an umbrella, and they do all the hard things. Mm -hmm. um, pr research and development, they do all the reporting, sales tax collection, everything that is hard for a business to stay on top of, and they take all the risk. Mm -hmm. I don't have any risk. I don't have products that I have in my home. I'm, there's nothing there. Uh, the only products we have is what we're using. If somebody wants some of those products, that you know, if they want mine, I could just have a call today. I said, I need six of this. Do you have it? I said, well, yeah, we do. And right. Could I get it? Well, absolutely. So, so that's what kept you. So you, uh, this is a this is a business where you have to go out every day and and do. There's mm -hmm. there's not this is not yours is not an industry where you 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 work real hard for five days or or you know a month or six months and then you kind of kick back and you. You take some time off. I mean, it's it's a daily grind, right? So, how did you how did you keep that uh, motivation and inspiration and all that stuff you needed every day when you're retired? You're getting a paycheck, maybe not a big one from your retirement, but you're getting a paycheck. You could have gotten by at some point without becoming number eighty four in the world in this <laughs> industry, right? Yeah. What what was your what was the driving force for you to keep going? How did you how did you every day get up and get back in this log? Well, first of all, just getting by is not an option because I don't want to just get by. I can't do anything for anybody else if it's all about me and just me getting by. Mm -hmm. I want to help other people get ahead, too. And I've always had that, uh, that philosophy that I'm out there to help people be the very best they can be. That's sort of the philosophy of the military. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> now, as far as what kept me motivated, well, when we got started in this business, we had five people on our very first uh, little presentation in our home says, we want to do this business too. Mm -hmm. So now I had five people I'm responsible for. Right. But I'm really not responsible for them because they just bought their own business and right. they're going to run their own business. Now, I do have a training option and I do have to keep them inspired and things like that. But... Once they start to grow, I can't stop mm -hmm. because I have to help them become as successful as they want to be. So I have responsibility. And today we've got responsibility for thousands of people. Uh, and we want to make them the best either customer that they can be. We want to make sure that they've got the best wellness going on. Or if they're looking for a paycheck, I want them to see the biggest paycheck possible. Now, the only way that you can get a paycheck in this business is to help people be better. Right. And so that keeps me inspired. How many, how many folks you have on your team now? Thousands. My wife is the statistician. Okay. I, I don't it. like to know those numbers. <laughs> You're the cheerleader, and she's the accountant. Is yeah, that and she's yeah. very good at it. Yeah, and she keeps me on the straight and narrow. Sure, sure. Yeah. So you told me about a time where, where before, um, before you got kind of fully into this thing, where your wife was still working, and um, she abruptly surprised you one day <laughs> coming home for lunch, and it turned out to be more than coming home for lunch. Yeah, uh, she quit her job. Yeah, right. She yeah. just came home and said, "By the way." <laughs> We're we're uh, we got a new career path now, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, how did that help kind of uh, jumpstart you in the right direction? <laughs> well, she is what she did. She took the if out of it because mm -hmm. she heard me when we got started in the business. She says, "Can you do that?" I said, "Absolutely." My mom said I could do anything I want as long as I believed I could. She says, you're guaranteed that you can do that. I said, yeah. So then I started to do the things that you do is networking and meeting people and listening and offering solutions, things like that. <coughs> but um, she thought she, that she would be out of that job like in January, February, the following year after we got started. Which was a few months later, right? Yeah, a few months later. And um, one night she came home and says, well, how's it going? 
And I says, well, you know what? It's going really good. And she says, when can I get out of my job? I says, maybe June, July. You know, I just added three or four more months to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one word I said there, I says, if this gets going, maybe June or July. <laughs> and that's when she didn't speak to me. She went to bed. Next day, went to work, came home, says, I just took the if out of it. <laughs> and I says, what? Are you, what? Yeah, what? I quit today. So you got to get to work. Yeah. There is no, failure is not an option. Right. And uh, then she turned that right around because failure is not an option. It's negative. She says, success is the only option now. Right. And and so I said, what do you want me to do? She says, well, you got to see 10 people a day. And I said, well, fantastic. What are you going to do? She said, I'm going to learn how to do this business by reading the books and stuff. I said, no. If I see 10, you got to see 10. Right. So our whole first month that uh, I was looking at seeing 300 people and seeing if they were open for some options uh, that would improve their quality of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did very well with that. Uh, then we uh, came back and said, okay, our, our focus is never to go a day without at least making a connection with two new people. Right. But I also now have to look back at my team, and I better be making contact for everybody on the team, too. So right. we, we have a phone that does ring, and doesn't ring 24 hours a day. Um, but um, it's getting very busy right now because of new products that they just launched that right. are really going to blow this market apart. So I, I heard something uh, uh, last week, and I can't remember where I, where I heard this either or read it, but uh, it was talking about uh, success, and they were it was a study about success. And one of the things it said is for folks who have a plan B, their plan A is much less likely to, to be successful. So if you have something else that – if you have something kind of waiting in the, in the wings, it's kind of a, uh, well, I could always do this. If, if this doesn't work, I could always do this. If you have that kind of hanging out there, um, your plan A is much less likely to, to be you know, seen through. And uh, so it sounds like your wife kind of took that to heart and, and got rid of your plan B for you. Well, she said, <coughs> we're not going to drive in the slow lane. We're going to get in the uh, express lane, the diamond lane. And the only way you can get in that lane is take people along with you. Right. So now you have a team of thousands of people. What do you, how do you keep your team now? I mean, so you, now you don't, you're not in the military. You don't, you don't have Article 13s to, to, <laughs> to use at your disposal. And I got to imagine your industry has a high dropout rate. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I don't know if it's eighteen percent or eighty-four percent. I have no, I have no frame of reference for where that would be, but I, I got to figure it's it's a fairly high dropout rate. How do you keep folks motivated in an industry where they're going to be getting outside their comfort zones pretty regularly? Well, when we when we get started, we want to have what their vision is and what they want and, and where they want to go, and we always record that. And um, one of the examples I have, uh, we were down in Mexico having a great time sitting on the beach and. I <coughs> thought about one of our uh, distributors uh, that was very active. However, we saw the activity dropping off. So I just took a postcard and says, you know, wish you were here to enjoy this lifestyle with us. And uh, when we got home, uh, went from the airport home, had this young lady sitting on the steps crying. And uh, I says, well, what's the matter? She says, you remembered my dream when I lost it. Right. I still want that dream. I said, well, then let's go to work and let's create that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's helping people realize they did make a commitment. They do have a dream they would like to um, uh, fulfill. And if they're serious about that, we're going to work with them until they don't do it anymore. Right. You know, I can't. It, uh, it's a volunteer army. I'm, I know what it is to herd cats. My wife is a cat lover, and we herd them around all the time. Right. They, they, follow, they go all different directions. 
Uh, so it's helping people realize what the potential is out there. And in this industry, the potential is unlimited. As long as you stay with it, as long as you connect with people and you share with integrity and you have products that really do change people's lives. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, uh, it sounds like then you're, you're, you're focused in is, is keeping people mindful of what, what you know, led them to head down this path and begin with. Correct. And you know, as people get inundated with life and challenges and daycare and you know, overtime and you know, grocery bills and insurance and taxes and all that fun stuff, it's easy to get sidetracked and, and lose focus. And, and you just remind them of uh, what they're what they signed up for in the beginning. For. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So for people listening um, who are facing all kinds of challenges in a variety of different industries, what what are two or three things you would say to focus on to to, to be successful? Well, be, be constant learning. So um, personal development. That's probably the most important thing is to get into the books of successful people. Um, if you want to be successful, you got to hang around su- successful people. I know that when Pat and I first got started in that very first business, she said, you know, your future is going to be based on the 10 people. Uh, your income is going to be based on the 10 people you hang around with most. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want to be a millionaire, you got to hang around with them. I right. said, well, we don't know any. Okay. And uh, so over the course of a few years, we were out on a camping trip, sitting around a campfire, and everybody around the campfire was a millionaire. So did we leave all of our other friends behind? No, we created new ones. But if people didn't want to go down the road we were going down with, uh, I didn't disown them. You know, right. We just didn't have time to spend with them that much anymore. But if you want to be successful, consult and mentor with the people who are successful or where you want to be. That's gotcha. probably the most important one. So, Personal development. So hang out with the people who are what you want to be mm-hmm. and uh, never stop learning. Correct. And uh, keep, keep, keep learning. What, what else? What other, what other uh, success nuggets would you drop on us? Well, first of all, take negativity out of, take ne- negativity out of your mind. You, how you does that work? I'd love to hear how you do that. Yeah, <laughs> My mom also helped me with that. Uh, you know, when, when something would happen around the house, she says, well, that's done. It's over, so forget it. You know, well, what do you mean, Mom? That was broken. I broke it. Yeah, but it can be fixed. Forget it. Um, so, you know, when something happens, it's only for that second, that minute, maybe that hour. But most people say, well, today is really a bad day. No, today was a bad minute of the day. The rest of the day can be whatever you want it to be if you just flush that out. Right. Uh, so negativity, you got to get rid of it. I mean, that's where most of our diseases come from is people are dwelling on negativity in their brain. And yeah. Therefore, their bodies can't function at the level they really need to. Right, right. Yeah. So that, that's one. Um, and, and keep your dream alive. Uh, we are firm believers in um, life cycle plans, um, maps, if you don't, if you can't see what you want, it's very hard to get. So we have life cycle plans on our uh, on our uh, my door to my office. Mm-hmm. I carry one in my iPad so that if something happens, I can always open it up and look. Oh yeah, I'm going to do this, you know. And whether you believe it or not, all this stuff on our life cycle plans has happened. For yours personally? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because you yeah. drew it out. 22 and a half years ago or whatever? Well, no. 
we make new life cycle plans every time we get to a different position in life. Gotcha. So you get to a different economic level, make a new plan. So probably every three three years, we're making a new vision board. Mm-hmm. It's I think vision boards are important. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, man, it sure is fun to hang out with you. You're a super smart guy and a super sweet guy, and I'm really, uh, I'm really thankful you came on. Why don't you take uh, take two or three minutes and just tell us all about Zija. Tell us about the, the – uh, you mentioned a few times how the products and, and stuff you sell are helpful to people. Um, tell us how so. Well, <clears throat> everybody today is – are not getting the nutrient level we need to have. You know, and that's what we worked with for the last, well, in the first company, 20-plus years. We had nutrition, but I had to figure out what nutrition they should take, whether they're short on calcium or magnesium or all these other things, whereas what we found with Zizia, the Moringa tree is the most nutrient-dense plant uh, on Earth today. It's the most studied plant, and it's got 90 vitamins and minerals, all the omegas, all your amino acids, everything in it the body needs on a daily basis. So I was just with someone this morning. She says, well, why do I get so hungry? I says, because you don't have nutrients in the body. If your body has nutrition, then it's satisfied. But if you put in a lot of empty calories, yeah, the calories are going to be there for a bit, and then they're going to burn off, and you're going to get hungry because the body says, hey, you didn't give me any nutrition. Now I want some nutrition. So you go fill up with more calories, Mm -hmm. still no nutrition, and that's why our population is getting bigger and bigger today. Fatter, sad fatter, you mean? <laughs> bigger and you bigger. Don't, you, don't, yeah, you, don't, you don't mean a larger population. You mean, yeah, you mean yeah, a fatter population. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. But uh, again, the modifications, GMOs, and things that are happening to our food, uh, and the fact that we have a global economy and stuff from South America has got to be picked early before it gets up here. Therefore, the nutrient level isn't what it used to be. And so we're eating a lot more food to get a uh, smaller amount of nutrition. Mm-hmm. So the Moringa, one drink a day, and you've got everything the body needs to have. Uh, so it's a gap filler for some people. But other people that have serious symptoms or problems going on, and you name it, the body can heal itself if it has what it needs. Baseline for everything is that nutrient level, and that's what the Moringa offers. The other thing that uh, they just launched is CBD. CBD is a big thing right now where it helps people with depression, anxiety, panic attacks, PTSD, helps them sleep, um, pain, agony, go away. Well, <coughs> we found through this company that um, when people ingest um, CBD, about 93% of it is used up in the digestive tract, and therefore you only get about 7% of the product. Mm. Whereas what Zisha has developed is a, they call it a CBD transdermal square. You just stick it on your body, and you've got CBD for 24 hours at the constant level. Nice. So you're not losing it through the digestive system. It's not going through the liver. It's not creating damage to the organs in the body. And CBD is very important. Um, you know, the opiate epidemic's out there, and that was created because of all these drugs. CBD is non-addictive. CBD is, um, provides the benefit that people are looking for. Therefore, People are going to start looking at it. And 2018 is the first year that the tipping point worldwide where people have started to look for natural things before they go a medical mm-hmm. solution. And that's what this company is all about. That's why we like it. It's natural from everything you use in your home to the nutrition to sports to everything. Right. It's all natural. Nice, nice. Well, Mac, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for sharing all that information. Uh, uh, good stuff. Uh, how do folks get a hold of you? Well, the best way to do it <coughs> is 
312-1661. Or you can go to activewellness.energy, which is a website, www.activewellness.energy, and uh, review everything there. Um, or just text us at uh, that phone number or go to Mac, M-A-C, Terry's, at hotmail.com. Right. And if you if you uh, can't write that down, you can always uh, email me at brian at brianlharding.com, and I'll forward all your messages, of course. Uh, thanks again, Mac. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, remember, guys, this uh, podcast was sponsored by South Sound Business Summit at southsoundbusinesssummit.com. And uh, if you like what you hear and you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, please get a hold of me at brian at brianlharding.com. Next week, it's me solo, so I apologize in advance for that. Uh, I'll be giving you a little bit of history about uh, myself and my career and why I'm doing this and, uh, and uh, why I'm, I'm suggesting you listen to me blather on every week for 30 to 60 minutes. Uh, but until then, that's all for today. Uh, thanks again to Mac, and I'll talk to you all next week. Have a great week. Thank you, Brian.